I was really wrestling with doubts, really simultaneously defending my faith and also defending my unbelief. And it just was wrecking my soul. And I told you about the dream that God gave me to like woo me to himself. But I, I recall back in that time when I'm really wrestling and I'm driving my car and I'm thinking about things and I'm uh, like fighting with myself. Uh, there was two songs that really helped me lyrically and just they're beautiful that that helped me and I'll share one song with you and this is what, what got me and it's just the bridge from Ghost Ship. They wrote, there are only a few things I know and that's how I felt. I felt like I can't, I can't, I couldn't hold on to everything right now. I couldn't like keep cohesively all my thoughts and my beliefs and it just felt fractured and splintered and and I resonate with this, like in my car, screaming it out, because that's how I sing. Sorry, choir. Well, they know. But there are only a few things I know. I know that he rose. I know that he loves me so. And I know that he won't let go. Like, I, I feel this in my bones. Like, even in my darkness, I could hold on to these words. And they were in the midst of, like, chaos and a confusing cloud around me, I could kind of anchor to this. I don't know about this. I don't know about this. I don't know about these questions or this cynical uh, uh, fight back and pushback in my heart, but I could hold on to this, and it was assuring to my soul. And, and that's what John is after today. John is after assuring us in the midst of confusion, in the midst of doubt, and even in the midst of false teaching, when someone's just in your ear trying to lead you a different way, John is here to assure us in the midst of all that. And so 1 John 2, verse 3, if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to look at it with me as we go. 1 John 2, verse 3. This is how we know that we know him. That's God. If we keep his commands, the one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he, Jesus, walked. Assurance of your spiritual life can be found in your relationship to God's commands. If you ignore them as suggestions, if you don't care about following God, if you don't desire to obey God out of his love for you, then you should be shaken up a bit. This, this should mess with your soul a bit. And what he's doing here is two tests, and this is the first of the two tests in this passage. What he's saying is we can know God. We can know that we know God if we keep his commands. And so John, in a very pastoral way, is winsomely assuring genuine believers that they know God. But he's also warning false professors. Because because you know this, some people can give Jesus their lips. But Jesus is not satisfied with your lips. Jesus wants your life. That's why through this passage, this is the fifth time he said, or the fourth, it will be the fifth by the end of this, of if one says this, and then gives the quotation. If someone says this, 
And what we see is that people can give lip service to Jesus and act like they're Christians, act like they have come to know Jesus and say a lot of things about Jesus. And, and if you've been around the church for a while, you pick up the lingo, right? You pick up some of the things and you start dropping gospel in the midst of your conversations. You're like, I think that's right. I'm going to keep sticking with that. I'll just use it as an adjective for everything. So like, yeah, I know our church is really committed to gospel worship. And we're like, oh, that's great. I'm good language. It's like, great, you know? But Jesus just doesn't want your lips. He wants your life. That's what John is after. He demands your life, not just your lips. So you can say you know Jesus, but if you don't follow him in word and deed, you don't know him. And John says, if that's you, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. You're not practicing the truth. You're lying, you're deceiving, or as we saw last week, even deceiving yourself. truth is not in you, or to see it in light of the next passage, you're dead in your sins. If you have no desire to follow God's commands, if you don't keep his commands, you have not been born again by God. You are not new. You don't know him. Do do you feel it with me? He's assuring genuine believers, but he's also warning false professors simultaneously. Now, maybe that doesn't hit you because you think knowing is just knowing about facts, but knowing God is not knowing facts about him or being able to recognize him work in people or in other circumstances. Knowing him is knowing him personally for yourself. Christianity is treasuring Jesus. So it's a a new way of life. It's not merely mouthing words. It's not saying, I know Jesus and then doing whatever you want. It's, I know Jesus, and I have a new life, and I have new beliefs, and I have new behavior, and I belong to a new family, this church. But is John saying, you are perfect in keeping God's commands. That's how you know him. Obviously not, right? Because he just acknowledged in chapter 1 that if we say we have no sins, we're liars. So we actually have sin. He says, when you sin, confess your sin to God. And he is faithful and just to forgive us. And so clearly, obviously, he's not saying that you have to be perfect in keeping all the commands. That's what lets you know. Now he's saying, no, there's sin in you. You will still disobey. But the pattern of our life is characterized by keeping God's commands. That's his argument. We are not characterized by disobedience to his commands. But when we fail, when we sin, we confess our sins to God, trusting in Jesus as our atoning sacrifice and our advocate with the Father. Those who know Jesus have turned from their sin and turned to Jesus in faith. And now they love God's commands. Why? Because they love God. And let me, let me, let me get, at with, get with you here. Thinking about God's commands as separate from God is broken. To think about his rules as a distant thing from him is broken. 
These aren't arbitrary laws and commands that he gives us. It's the Father speaking. And so it's a Father, loving Father, guiding you with his words, instructing you with his words, teaching you, go this way, follow this. This is the best for you. That's what it is. And so if you love God because you know him, then you also love his commands because they're not separate from him. They are him speaking to you. So I love him speaking to me. Is it hard sometimes? Yes. Is it difficult to obey? Yes. But I love his commands like Psalm 119 says because they're pure and true and beautiful and the very words of God. Him speaking to me. So we love his commands. And strain by the Spirit's power to keep his commands. Or as he states it the second time, we should walk as Jesus walked. I love how simple that is. We should walk as Jesus walked. The beauty here is that we should walk as he walked, yes. But what that means is you walk with Jesus. You get to walk with Jesus. <laughs> you get to walk with Jesus in your everyday desires and relationships. That's what you've been invited into. That's a part of the good news of the gospel is that you get to walk with Jesus today and this afternoon. And tomorrow, our advocate is alive and interceding for us now. And he's present with you every day by his spirit that he sent to you. He's walking with you. So it's, it's really not a question of uh, uh, are you going to walk. The question is who are you going to walk with. And if, if you grew up in the era that I grew up in, you would hear things from your parents like, I'll be careful right? Bad company ruins bad morals. Something like that. You know what I mean. Is that right? Huh? Mostly right. I'd like to preach with more precision than that. Mostly right. It's close. No cigar. All right. But then I was thinking about that. Yeah, I grew up with that. And I, it makes sense, right? The people that you really fellowship with, you become like them, right? And what I'm saying is, in walking with Jesus as your true companion, your true friend, you become more like Jesus. In his systematic theology, Joel Beakey encourages us with this summary of, of all this, and, and it's lengthy, so it's on the screen. I, I want you to please read it with me. He says, Jesus, the merciful and faithful high priest helps the tempted, obtaining for them hatred of sin, and love for holiness. That's what he's doing in you. Justification is complete at the first moment of saving faith, but Christ's intercession preserves believers in a state of justification despite your, my, culpable slips and falls so that no one can condemn us before God. Preservation from fully and finally, falling away from God is granted through Christ's intercession. And so, stop, right there. Why didn't I fall away last week, uh, last year? Why didn't I fall away last year? 
because I'm really good, because I know all the apologetic aspects of this, because I claim to be following Jesus since I was 16, is that it? Is it because I have a better uh, uh, ethical center than you? Is it because I've done more uh, theological work? No, the truth is, I'm still here because Jesus is still here and interceding for me. That's why. Where he says, nothing can separate believers from the love of Christ who intercedes for them. The reality is, you can't meet Jesus and not change. To know Jesus personally, genuinely, is to be changed and changing. You may say, I still have a lot that needs to be changed in my life, right? If you're like me, you're like, yeah, I can see that God changed me when I was 16. I see that he's been changing me. Uh, I know I can feel it sometimes. I wish it was faster. I wish it was more. I feel like you have a lot that needs to change. I agree. But that's why we keep walking with Jesus. That's why we keep walking with him. John is not speaking of perfection, but progress. You are making progress as a Christian. That's how you can know that you know him. You're making progress as a Christian. You're growing, maybe slowly and incrementally, like a tree, but it's happening. And so that's happening. That's reality. If that's reality, think about our church. Think about the people in this room. Think about this family. In love, can we not judge people by where they are, but consider them in light of where they've come from? Do you hear me, family? If we're all growing because Jesus is reigning and living and interceding for us, then can we not judge people like, hey, oh, they got this sin, uh, this thing, another thing I have to wrestle with in my life, nothing I have to help, or I can't believe they would do this. You know those things when we say like that, I can't believe they would do this. You know when you say that about your kids, and if you say it to them, you know what we're doing, you're just like shaming them, because like, I can't believe you would do this. I can't believe it's possible for you. Can we stop judging people by where they are and actually consider, hey, yeah, they're here, but do you remember when they became a Christian? I know one guy that used to say uh, about his, his band at the church, he would say people would complain to him because they were smoking cigarettes uh, after the gathering. And people would be like, why, why are they smoking cigarettes? And he said, well, like two years ago they were smoking weed and then they met Jesus. So I'm going to celebrate that they're just smoking cigarettes now. You know what I'm saying? But that's what I'm saying. Like, can we consider, where have God brought them? Let's consider that as we approach them and consider them in love. So with John's first section here, hopefully unpacked a bit, let me ask you, what's changed since you met Jesus? What's changed since you met Jesus? And as you think of that, celebrate it. Rejoice. You, you probably have 
some of you guys became Christians recently. And you're like, I'm beginning to be aware more of more of who God is and what he's calling me to. And I feel like I've grown so little. The Old Testament says, do not despise small beginnings, but celebrate them. And so when you answer that question, how has Jesus changed me since I met him and know him? Celebrate it. God is at work in you, continuing to change you. What's changed since you met Jesus? Now, if your answer is nothing, then you didn't meet him. You need to meet him today. You need to start walking with Jesus today. When you, when you think about this command from God and keeping his commands, John sheds light on this in, in chapter 3. It's 1 John 3.23. This is his command. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. So if you don't know Jesus, God is calling you now to believe in the name of his son. In verse uh, 2, 1 and 2 of chapter 2, we saw that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice and the advocate last week with the Father. And the atoning sacrifice describes Jesus being the one who pays the penalty for our sin, that he takes the wrath that we deserve for our rebellion. That's atoning sacrifice. That's what's called propitiation, that the wrath you deserve has been diverted from you to Jesus. And then the advocate describes Jesus standing in heaven now, pleading his blood for the sins you commit. And so to reverse engineer that, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't believe in Jesus, then you are heading for wrath. For your cosmic betrayal, for your rebellion, for your treason, your sin, the reality is you have no advocate. You're in front of the supreme justice, fully guilty with no lawyer. You should be scared. It's terrifying. I'm not trying to scare you into his arms. I'm trying to warn you about the reality of where you're heading. But the Father is not only just, he's loving. And his justice and love kiss at the cross where he's made a way for you to experience his love and be pulled into this fellowship with him by sending his son in your place. And so for you false professors, John is saying, believe in the name of the son who died for your sins. Now, if you are a Christian, Jesus died for your sins and rose from the grave and advocates for you right now. Yes. And he also modeled a life of love. He modeled a life in the spirit. So he's our toning sacrifice. He's our advocate and he's our example. We walk as he walked. Why? Because he paved the way, showed us how to live a life in the Spirit, a life of fellowship with the Father and others. He modeled for us and lived a vibrant 
hearty life of humble service and joyful worship. Walk as he walked. I've said this before, but I'll, I'll say it again. Jesus was not a curmudgeon, a sad holiness, meaning like he doesn't care about anything. He's just trying to stay away from all things, and, and he's pious and aloof and distant. That's not Jesus. The Gospels reveal to us that Jesus is full of love and life. Buoyantly walking around the earth and everyone's attracted to him. Why? Because he's the only man they've ever seen who is without sin, is not trying to use them for his own selfish gain, but he's just pouring out love everywhere he goes. Pouring out love. What does love look like? Healing this person that's crippled. Preaching about the kingdom of God. Warning people about where they're going. Just pouring out love over and over and over again. So walk as he walked. And you're like, well, that's not new. I know, I just want to encourage you with this part. Keep going. Continue following him. Walk as he walked. Pick up your cross now and continue to deny yourself die to yourself and live for the glory of God and the good of others. Walk as he walked. Walk with Jesus. That's what happened to John. When he wrote this letter, he was most likely in his 70s or 80s. And uh, as you read it, if you've read it, you know, getting prepared for this series, if you read the whole thing through, you, you know that he sounds like a loving grandfather. Knowing his age, knowing how, like, the dear children and beloved that he writes to over and over again. Sounds like a loving grandfather. But remember back in the day when he first started walking with Jesus? Anyone remember John, who first started walking with Jesus? One story. One point, Jesus is heading to Jerusalem with his disciples, and he sends some messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to get prepared for them to stay there. The Samaritan village doesn't welcome and say, no, you're going to Jerusalem, so you can't stay here. And John and James go, hey, Lord, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from the sky and consume the whole village? <laughs> and Jesus rebukes them. And you begin to understand why he gave them the name the Sons of Thunder. But what's happened to John? He's walked with Jesus for decades. That's what happened. And this son of thunder has become a loving grandfather who is so immersed in the father's love for him and love for others that he's just exuding it. Meaning, I would make the venture, I would make the guess that where in the past he said, let me call down fire, what he would probably want to do for, for his people that he's writing to in this moment, say, Lord Jesus, can I call down love that it would flow into them and consume their hearts and they'd be exploding with love from you and love for others. You see the difference? That's my guess, but it's pretty in line with 1 John, so close. It's close. <laughs> I think it's there. What happened? He's walked with Jesus for decades. That's what's happened. That's why we, every week, open the Bible. That's why I ask you to open your Bible. 
and read the Bible to learn from Jesus. That's why I ask you to pray so you talk to Jesus. That's why I ask you to come to corporate worship so that you can behold Jesus. That's why we encourage you to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God so that you can grow in your friendship with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. And in walking with Jesus and obeying Jesus, do you see that phrase in verse 5? The love of God is made complete. The best translation, the best interpretation of that, I think, is this. That in walking with Jesus and obeying Jesus, your love for God is made complete. And I know it says the love of God. It can be like four different things based upon 1 John 5.3. I think it's your love for God made complete. I'll tell you why. 1 John 5.3. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. But go back. You see, what is the love for God? Keeping his commands. So in keeping his commands, your love for God is maturing, which makes sense because you do what you love and you love more and more and more what you do. So the, the habits that we cultivate form us. And the habits of grace form us to be more and more loving. And so in following the Father's instructions and commands, so basically like, this is where you should go. This is how you should uh, uh, live your life. This is how you should interact with these people. This is how you should forgive because you've been forgiven. In doing those things, your love for God is maturing and growing, and it's getting bigger and bigger as you follow him. That you're in more intensely more intensely in love with God and following him in all your life. Why? Because you've been keeping his commands and walking with Jesus. And that's what he wants for you. That's what John wants for you. More and more loving. And that's what John pushes into next. Our love. Our love. So we talked a lot about up to this point, God's love for us in Christ. But he's going to press into, if you've experienced the love of Christ, then let's talk about your love. So 1 John 2, verse 7. Hear it. Dear friends. I think he says this five times in this letter. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command that you've had from the beginning. The old command is the word you have heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you. That's amazing. It's true in Jesus and it's true in you. It's true in us. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, the one who says, here it is again. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in light, and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, doesn't know where he's going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So first, let's address the old and new command. <laughs> the old and new command is the same thing. 
<laughs> the new command is the old command expressed in light of Christ. And so if you just nail down to it, what's the old and new command? Let's let Jesus define it for himself. In Mark 12, one of the scribes approached when he heard him debating. This is Mark 12, what's that, verse 28. One of the scribes approached, when he heard them debating, saw that Jesus answered them well. He asked them, which command is the most important of all? Which one? So this is about priority. This is about what, what trumps all the others. What maybe does all the other ones hang on, right? If you remember Matthew talking about it. Which command? Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. You need to see this command because this becomes John's test, the second test. But before we get into that, how is this new command true in Jesus and true in us? What does he mean by it? What's happening there? Well, he says, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And so this love is genuine love expressed in Jesus and in us. It's true in us. If we are new, then what does it look like? What are we characterized by? We're characterized by loving God and loving others. Now, when he says the darkness is fading, the true light is shining, uh, he just gives us wonderful help to understand where are we at right now? Where do we live? What kind of, what kind of world do we live in? It's kind of the aspect of like walking through the, uh, I wish I knew what it was called, uh, the wardrobe, yes, in the Chronicles of Narnia, just in this whole new world. And I kind of, I want you to maybe see this again afresh. But what's happening here? is that we're in this stage where the kingdom of God has been inaugurated, but it's not yet complete. So we live in this state of already, but not yet. Darkness is passing away, and the true light is shining already. And in that, that means the dawn has poured love on the morning horizon, but the sun is not fully in the sky right now. So we're in this already, but not yet. One example of what this means. Our capacity to feel the Father's affection for us is present now, but it's not full. You know those times where you just don't feel like God is around, where you don't feel like he loves you, when you don't feel uh, like he's aware of you, where you feel like he's distant, aloof, and like a, uh, the old man in the sky, you're just like, yeah, he's, he's there somewhere. We don't feel him. When the kingdom is complete and we're in the presence of, Jesus, presence of Jesus completely, we will feel ever more fully the affections of the Father for us. And from that, it makes sense that John's second test is connected to love. If you hate your brother and sister, you're in the darkness. If you love your brother or sister, you're in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. Like you're not gonna...
got to think about this as an actual evaluation of your life. And if he's trying to assure genuine believers, then you should be assured. But if he's warning false professors and that's you, you should take these tests as an evaluation. Is my life really characterized by obedience to Jesus? I'm not perfect, but I'm making progress. I'm not perfect, but I'm making progress. And then to love. To love my brother or sister. Go six, Jeffrey. Or you got it, Joel? Okay. When you begin with Jesus, the Father's love pours into your heart by the Spirit. And as you walk with Jesus, the love grows, relationally infused from the Father to us through Jesus and then to others. Meaning, pulsing love for others, which includes affections and includes sacrificial action. This isn't just sentiment. This is your duty to love others because you've been loved. So it's sacrificially serving and helping and bearing with others, loving words and loving actions, loving hearts that pour into other hearts. You can't say you're experiencing the Father's love for you if it terminates on you. Genuine love flows to you and then through you to others. Genuine love never terminates on an individual. It keeps going. This is what we mean by the cascading waterfall of the Father's love. That it flows, overflows into the Son, then it overflows into us, and He creates, and then He saves us. And then as it flows to you, it continues to flow. It continues to cascade. If you don't love but rather hate, he says, you're in the darkness. You're spiritually dead. You walk in the darkness. You don't know where you're going. You're blind. Do you know all that he's, he's summarizing there? He's summarizing a massive theme from the Old Testament is this. When you worship idols, you become dumb and blind just like they are. I mean dumb like you can't speak, you can't hear, you can't see. Those kind of sensory things. Why? Because you become like the things that you worship and what are idols? They can't see, they can't hear, they can't speak. And so to continue following idols means you're dead in your sins, in the darkness, blind. Now does that mean you can't open up the Bible and understand like the grammatical construction of the sentences? No, of course you can. What being blind means is you can't understand the beauty and truth that's here. Until God reveals himself to you and makes you new. Until you believe in the Son. To know God is to know you are not the center of the cosmos because his love is so ferocious that it uncurls us from ourselves to, to not be bent in on this self-love that is so focused on us, it uncurls us and frees us to love and binds us to love. His love for you means you don't have to be stuck on yourself for the rest of your life. 
to make everything about you the rest of your life. You can't selfishly hoard God's love and be done. No, you take in all the affections of the Father and then you roll it over and serve other people out of love. Last week I said, hiding is a habit of self-delusion. Minimizing our sin, hiding our sin, it's a habit of self-delusion, but confession of sin is a habit of grace. Well, when you consider this this week, hate is a habit of the evil one. Or to put a fork in the road, the habit of hate, the hatred, the animosity, the self-righteous indignation and accusatory nature against other people in your life is a habit of the evil one. The habit of God is love. Sacrificial love. And now, now we program things in our church, like community groups and other places like get-together, but love is demonstrably, demonstratively seen when you serve one another with babysitting and providing food and picking up one another when you're in like a real mess or come alongside you with destruction at your house, like that real stuff. It's like, I see real needs. I see my brothers and sisters, and I'm going to move towards them and serve them, even though it's an inconvenience, which is the lowest bar. <laughs> Did you hear me? The lowest bar for you to use an excuse to not serve your brothers is to say it's an inconvenience. In my mentality, I don't think John even has that in his arsenal, right? Uh, I don't have the time. It's going gonna, it's gonna to mess with some of my plans. That's the lowest part. You know what it starts getting up to? Like, this is actually going to take from me. This is going to uh, exhaust me. This is going to take my resources. This is going to take my time, my energy. I have to come in and actually love this person means it stings a little bit. Sacrificial love is not sacrificial if it doesn't sting. It's most likely mere sentimentality. Sacrificial love actually gets your hands dirty and puts the plow to the ground and goes to work on behalf of others and for others. That's sacrificial love. That's what he's calling us to. So these are the two tests. Keep God's commands and love your brothers and sisters. But if we back out a little bit and include the last passage, which I'd like to do because I want to keep this, this book together and not try to break it up where it's not like you forget where we've been. But if we back out and think about this from last week, we see progress in, the, in following Jesus looks like this. This is progress in the Christian life with First John thus far. A growing absence of sin in our life and a growing presence of love in our life. You remember he said, I write these, last week he said, I write these things to you that you may sin less. Not that you'll be sinless. Remember, we're not talking perfection, we're talking progress, but that you may sin less. And then here, just pushing, you will continue to grow more and more in love for others. So we're starving our sin and we're feeding on the love of God in Christ. Progress looks like a growing disgust and brokenness over our sin in a deeper well of love for others. 
Simply put, this is our commission. Because God commands and Jesus lived loving obedience, then believe in the Son and love others. And I know that's simple to say, right? It's back to like mere-mouthing words. Like it's very easy for those to say words. But do you know what genuine Christians will do? Continue to lean into this and love others. See that I've been purchased with a price out of love, so my life is not my own. And so I've been loved so that I will be loving towards God, towards my brothers and sisters. This is how we're going to live. And if you're not a Christian, you can get in on this. We didn't get to this point. We didn't become Christians because we figured it out. Or we performed the five duties to get to this point. We are humble and broken and weak people like you who are all desperately in need of grace from Jesus. And so the invitation is to you. You can get in on this. Believe in the Son. Died in your place for your sins. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would grant us a work of your Spirit to fill your love for us now. And for those that have been doubting and wrestling with things, I pray that you would assure them, assure their consciences, assure them that you have them and nothing will separate them from you. Nothing will separate them from your love. And if they're false professors, Lord, I pray that you would shake them up, wake them up, that they may know a lot about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. And would your cosmic grace collide with their hearts right now and change them forever. And that they would get to walk with you day in and day out with us for the rest of our days and for all eternity. We ask this in Christ's name, our atoning sacrifice. Amen.